Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is God the Builder by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, we, this season, we particularly have a lot to rejoice for. Your, your son is certainly a gift that we can rejoice in. And, and so, Lord, we do rejoice, but as we open your word, we do pray that you would open our hearts and open our spiritual ears to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. This morning's a little bit different. This morning, uh, I, I want to take the time uh, and just as we come into Christmas season, uh, I want to take the time to thank, to honour and to acknowledge everybody who gives in any way, shape or form to God's work here at The Rock and so uh, in part of doing that, I would like to put that in the framework uh, of Scripture as we remember this season. Uh, I'd like to highlight that God is a builder. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, who's now back in Tasmania, actually rang me the other day and said, man, it's hot. It's 28 degrees. I said, get out. <laughs> but, but when my daughter was a toddler, believe it or not, her favourite uh, video or cartoon program was Bob the Builder. I don't know if anybody could... Bob, Bob the Builder. We had Scoop, we had Muzzy, uh, Mark and Dizzy, we had all of them. But uh, she loved Bob the Builder. But I want to introduce you to God the Builder today. Yes. And scripture reveals, and our own lives will reveal, and church life will reveal that God builds. Let's have a look at some examples. Uh, if you read the Genesis 1 account... Just take time frames out of your mind for a moment. We'll fight over those later on. But if, if you just listen and read Genesis 1, you will read about a God who builds. Doesn't happen overnight all the time. God builds. As we come to the Christmas season, uh, we come into the time of remembering when divinity was poured into humanity. It was the moment we received the greatest gift in the universe. Of course, it was the king who came as a baby. But if you press the rewind button on Jesus coming in a manger, please, God was preparing, God was building as he was leading into the time that Jesus would come. He begins with one man named Abraham. From from Abraham, he would, Abraham would have a son who would have 12 sons. Who would have thought for all the parents here, how many know that's a lot of trouble, all in one package. But from those 12 sons, we would have the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, God would form a nation, uh, a nation that would give birth to the Messiah. And if you hold on to the imagery of uh, Israel as a woman giving birth to the Messiah, it will radically change how you read Revelation chapter 12 completely different Christmas story. But God is a builder. I remember when I was in the forestry, I uh, had a lot of guys and uh, they were all planting trees. And the interesting thing was if somebody from the outside came onto site and said, hey, to any of the guys that were working, if they said, what are you doing? They would say, we're planting trees. Apart from the obvious, right? They would say, we're planting trees. If any of if that same person came to me and said, you know, uh, what are all you guys doing here? I'd say we're creating plantations. And I would go on to say, I can't do any of that without every one of those guys planting trees. And the guys that were planting trees would say, we can't do anything without somebody 
steering and guiding, and we all needed each other. We weren't actually, when I was in the forestry, yes, I made the decisions and I organised stuff, but I didn't consider myself to be superior to anybody. We were all doing the same work. We just had different responsibilities on the day. And uh, if you think about uh, a coop, sometimes we planted coops that were up to 800,000 trees, but tree by tree by tree by tree by tree, we would create a plantation. And God builds in the same way. And today, I want to take you on a journey through one of God's building projects and throughout that journey, highlight how he uses every one of us to do that. Along the way, I might name some people and I might pick on some people and I want to highlight some people as I say thank you and honour everybody who stone by stone, as we journey through the story of Nehemiah, stone by stone and brick by brick, we are a part of God building a kingdom. Let's have a look at the story that God has for us. If you've got your Bibles, uh, anybody ever thrown a rock across the surface and seen it skim? That's what we're going to do through the book of Nehemiah this morning. Very, very quickly, we're going to touch at some important points. Uh, But here's some context we need to know as we lead into the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah should really be the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. It always was. Modern translators have separated the two books. But Ezra and Nehemiah tell the same story. The story that we've just gone through with Malachi, who was preaching to the same generation almost. Uh, What we see with Ezra and Nehemiah, they return to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, they return back to the homeland after exile uh, and they are part of God's building program to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls and reinstitute worship. But as we work our way through their story, maybe there are some things that speak to us as we're working behind the scenes in God's kingdom. Uh, First thing to note, what brings us to the book of Nehemiah. In Ezra, Zerubbabel, I know, right? Why couldn't people in Bible times just be called John and Peter? Uh, But uh, Zerubbabel, uh, uh, New Testament got it right, right? But the fishermen, they they made it simple. Uh, But Zerubbabel decides and is charged with going back to rebuild the temple first. And he takes a first minor wave of exiles back with him. And that's an amazing, profound and supernatural story because there is a king at that time by the name of Cyrus. Now, Cyrus will uh, not only provide, but will charge Zerubbabel, go back and rebuild the temple. Now, he's, he, he's a pagan king, but this pagan king stumbles across his name in the prophecies of Isaiah, given hundreds of years before he was born. His name was in the book. He was a part of God's building program. And so Zerubbabel goes back and he rebuilds the temple. Now, they relay the foundations of the temple. That's how God does things sometimes. Sometimes God excavates and and pulls the foundations out and relays the foundations. How many people here feel like since God's come into your life, he's torn up the foundations and begun to relay them? I think that would be most of our story. And if he's not, put your seatbelt on because he's starting the bulldozer as we speak. But sometimes God uh, uplifts the foundations, but they celebrate immensely. They are a huge celebration when the foundations 
foundation is relayed. Huge celebration when the temple is finished. Everything is finished. It's back according to the specifications, but something's missing. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is filled with anticlimaxes because they have their own expectations. Uh, anybody else ever entered into that? We have, we kind of have our own time frames. We kind of have all of our own expectations that we place on God. And that's what happened to Zerubbabel. He's thinking, you know what? We're going to rebuild the temple. And just like in the days of Solomon, the glory of God will come down. But something was missing. They had the temple. They had the walls. They had the furnishings. They had the priests. They had the, they had the clothes. But the presence was missing. So, so Ezra comes back. Yeah. Now, Ezra is a scribe. He would be... He would be, uh, if Ezra was alive today, he would have a PhD doctorate in just about anything theological. This guy knew scripture, the law, he knew everything inside and out. And so he comes back to the city. This is before Nehemiah. He comes back to the city, but his intentions are, we're going to reinstitute spiritual reform. We're going to get everything going again. And he gets there and finds that while he's been away and throughout the building program of Zerubbabel, he finds that they've all married women from around the foreign nations and and so uh, this upsets him greatly so he he orders this huge divorce decree you've got to do it but God never mandated any of this then Nehemiah here's a report some people from Jerusalem have come into the land of exile and said you know what Things aren't good back in Jerusalem. The, the temple's been rebuilt, but nothing's operating. The spiritual condition of the people has waxed and waned, and the walls are still in ruins. And so Nehemiah, uh, here we go again. My enunciation's not going to be great. King Axaxerxes, or whatever his name may have been, we'll just call him that guy, uh, <laughs> he, he, he charges Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls. And the story... Uh, that we find in Nehemiah is a wonderful story about how God uses ordinary people to do spectacular and extraordinary things. And I want everybody in this room to know that includes every single one of you guys. And so let's let's begin our journey through Nehemiah. Uh, If you've uh, arrived at Nehemiah, we're going to begin in chapter 3. The most profound part that we find here uh, are two words. We find two words that are really, really deep and profound. You know, when I was in the forestry, uh, I had guys, uh, I hired backpackers from all around the world. I had guys straight out of jail. And I had guys that were, you know, had the wife, the kids, the home loan, all the kind of stuff that we might frame as being normal. I had all of those guys, but something was really profound. Every single one of those guys did exactly the same job next to someone else. I had really educated, polished kind of people next to people straight out of jail. I had Germans next to Canadians. I had French people next to English and promised myself I would never do the French thing again. (laughs) All doing the same job all getting along with each other until about half past four in the afternoon when we're driving out. But something profound happens here in the book of Nehemiah, something very profound in God's building plan. Uh, if you read your way through Nehemiah chapter 3, you're going to come across these two words next to, you're going to come across them a number of times. But what is profound, and this is what I love, what is profound is who is next to who. If you read the full list as you work your way down, you're going to find priests next to ordinary people. You're going to find people from Israel and Jerusalem next to people from Jericho. 
You're going to find Israelites next to sojourners. You're going to find leaders right next to everybody else. That is the kingdom of God right there. That is God's building plan right there. This isn't about who's inferior or superior. This is about who are you next to in God's building plan. That's what I love. We are passionate here as a leadership. We are passionate about building a culture here that it doesn't matter what title you may wear. You can pick up a brick like everybody else and play your part in your 90 feet of wall building alongside of everybody else. Because that's what we find in God's building plan in Nehemiah. We had leaders and priests that it didn't matter what their title was. They were next to everybody else. Why? Because they understood we're part of a bigger task. And so it doesn't matter whether your title might be elder or board member or life group leader or pastor, or we can all still clean the toilet, sweep the floor, serve in the cafe. We have wonderful people doing that. We have in this place Tasmanians next to Kiwis. <laughs> Every nation and tongue. We have English people next to South Africans. We have K leaders next to cat lovers. So next, next year we start a series on deliverance. <laughs> no, we don't. Please don't turn up for that series because you might be waiting a long time. We were not starting that straight up. But that's what I love about this church. I'm bragging on you guys this morning. I'm bragging on you guys this morning because we have males next to females. We have mature people. That's the best way to frame it. We have mature people next to young people and I love that. That's God's building plan. That's the way, that's how Jesus modelled it. Jesus is the king of the universe and he washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus is the king of the universe and he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He ate with prostitutes. An ex-prostitute washed his feet before he was to be crucified, but he's the king of the universe. He's the king of the universe, but where do we find him next to? Who do we find the king of the universe next to? We find him next to fishermen, of course. They're the most holy people you'll find. But, <laughs> but, but we find him next to Galileans. We find him next to guys who can't read and write. Peter, the apostle, could not read or write. John was at best 16 when he was called to be a disciple. But I think the most graphic picture of the king of the universe is who he was crucified next to. Crucified next to two thieves. He didn't get his own cross. He didn't get his own... No, he was crucified alongside of every other criminal. Where do we find the king of the universe? Where do we find our glorious lamb who came? He was next to each and every one of us in God's building program. You see, a little bit more about this in a moment, but Jesus says, I will build my church. Hallelujah. Yeah. Don't tell the board this, I've got the easiest job in the universe. God does all the building. And I want to brag on a few people. Uh, you may not know, when we walk in here uh, every Sunday, you know, everything from the sound and that works and the media works, but you may not know the hours that Harold Weatherhead puts in here during the week, tinkering with all the rats and stuff in the, in the wiring and, and all the glitches. And that, That's right. That's just one example. We don't see, sometimes we don't see the sound people. Sometimes we don't see the work that goes into the cafe. 
with Sue and Veronica and many others that, that, that uh, volunteer in the cafe. Fellowship is really important. But we find them next to each and every one of us and we're all part of a greater work which is going to become more and more unveiled as we work our way through. And I want to ask a question this morning. Who are you next to? And not just physically, but who are you next to? We're all part of a a larger part. Let's let's see what Nehemiah has to say here. If you keep... Reading on, you'll, you'll come to chapter 4. I love this. It says, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people. The people had a mind to work. They had one mind. They had one agreement. Uh, they were, we are resolved to do the one job. We're here to do God's work. We're here to rebuild the walls. And can I tell you, can I, can I just say, we're going to face opposition. I'm not sure whether anybody else read the fine print on the year 20. 2023, but I failed to read the fine print. And I'm sure there's other people here that are saying, you know what, uh, as 2023 comes to a close, you know what, I forgot to read the fine print on that one. God's work will always come with opposition. Uh, I, I love the words of John Maxwell. John Maxwell says, you can, you can tell the strength of any organisation by its volunteerism. And based on that comment, this is a very strong organisation. The amount of wonderful people that give of their time and their talents and their resources week after week to pour into God's work. They have one mind to complete this work. And, and when the enemy comes, he comes to upset that one frame of mind, that one united frame of mind. That's exactly what happens for these guys. If you read the rest of chapter 4, those that were opposing the work on the walls, they wanted to make them afraid. They wanted to distract them. They wanted them to see that their work was worthless. And and this is what I love about the story of Nehemiah. Uh, Anybody looking at the work that we did in forestry would have said, oh, those guys are just planting trees. Anybody looking at the work that Nehemiah is doing here on the wall, everybody would say, you guys are just chucking stones together. You're digging through burnt rubble. You're putting bits and pieces together. Who knows even if it's going to stand? But if you ask them what they were doing, they were rebuilding the city of God. Hallelujah. They had one mind. I love that. Uh, if you come through to chapter 6, uh, the, those that are opposing... Uh, They've tried to oppose. They've adamantly tried to scare. I mean, it gets to the point where uh, these guys uh, have got a a shovel in one hand and their sword in the other one. And that is a metaphor for the Christian life, is it not? How how many of us say, you know what, that's that's a metaphor for how I follow Christ. Every day I wake up, I feel like I've got my trowel in one hand laying bricks and I've got a sword fending the enemy off with the other one. But uh, that's what these guys were like. Nehemiah, a very smart man, he gives each and every one of them just 90 feet of the wall. You just, you just concentrate on your piece of the wall. But they come to distract again. So those that were opposing, they come to Nehemiah and they say, you know what, come and, come and talk to us in the temple. Come and have a chat. We want to talk to you about what's going on. You see, Nehemiah, as well as Zerubbabel, both of them, when they got back to uh, Israel, those that had been there for a long time said, we want to be a part of the building work. And wrongly, they said, no, you can't. That was Zerubbabel's opposition, and he had to fix that. Nehemiah's been facing the same opposition, and come and let's have a chat. We want to be involved in the work. I love Nehemiah's response, chapter 6. 
verse 3, and I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He would not be distracted from what uh, God had called him to do. He says, I am doing a great work. You know, this morning, uh, to our kids' rock team, I want you to know that you are doing a great work. Uh, Each and every week, our kids' rock team are pouring eternal seeds into our children. We, we don't babysit your kids here. If you come to church, we will, we will gladly take your children out into Kids Rock, if you're husband, if you really have to. But we'll take your children out into Kids Rock. But we're not babysitting or entertaining children here. We are intentionally desiring to pour eternal seeds in. And what a wonderful team we have doing that. Each and every week. This isn't about... Uh, there are children that I have encountered that grew up through Sunday school that can remember what was sown into them when they were in Sunday school. Sunday school and Kids Rock team and leaders, you are doing a great work. I want you to know you're doing a great work. To our worship team, you're doing a great work. I'm still waiting for my part of the wall, by the way. Uh, yes, that's right. Some of us have a 90 feet of wall and that's not mine. But spare a thought for our worship team. Hours go into practice, hours go into preparation uh, and prayer and devotion on, on all sides. Not just from the leaders, but from all of the musicians. Some musicians we see every week almost on stage don't have a problem with it. They love being there. All of them love being there and we appreciate it. We, uh, I have had other pastors that have visited here and said, you know what, the music here is pretty good. I said, pretty good, you can't come back. It's either excellent, (laughs) but it is. And we are blessed to have what we have here. And so, so thankful. I I want the worship team to know. I want our Kids Rock team to know. I want our cafe team to know. I want our Food Link team to know you're doing a great work. Um, All of the volunteers... And paid staff in Foodlink, you're doing a great work. I, I wish more of you guys were here this morning. I wish Lena could have been here with us as well. But, but every single one of them are doing a fantastic work. Meeting people uh, often in a very dark and desperate place and just administering food and loving on them. And uh, we, have, we have a gentleman that still comes. He, he lost his wife this year. Uh, we've prayed with him a number of times. And the Foodlink team, they have just been tremendous with people like Colin. And, and most people from Foodlink will know Colin. Uh, and Colin's just one example of very many people that have been impacted deeply by Foodlink. And there are volunteers that give of their time and we are just so appreciative. I want you to know today you're doing a great work. If we work our way through through Nehemiah, uh, I, I, this is the testimony I aim for, for from this church. I love, uh, you know, these guys have been building walls. They've had swords in their hands. They've done all that. They've done some great work. They deserve a pat on the back and, and to be acknowledged. But as we work our way through, uh, we come down to chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished. Have a listen to these words. On the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. It took 52 days to rebuild the wall. And when all our enemies heard of it and the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Amen. And so I'm excited. Uh, when I God's patterns throughout Scripture uh, teach us about who he is and he operates the same. 
And so I'm excited because when I look through scripture and when I look through church history, I see in the seven years that I've been here, I see that God has been doing a wonderful building work. In some ways, he's been relaying the foundations. In other ways, he's been rebuilding us. But I believe he's been preparing us as a church. And there will be a time when everybody, I pray in not only the Redlands, but Brisbane, will say, look at the work they've accomplished with the help of their God. And now we can, we can give food parcels, we can sing songs, we can, we can speak sermon, we can do all of those things, but without the help of our God, it's just an organisation. And the building project of Nehemiah teaches us a great deal, it encourages us a great deal, but I want to finish with, if you work your way through Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll be reading about a physical building program where they rebuild a city and they, and, and they rebuild a temple and they rebuild walls. But behind that is another story that's happening. It's the story of God building a kingdom. And in the same way, God is building his kingdom. And here we are at Christmas time. We remember the time when the Saviour came into the world, but he was a part of that building process. And when Jesus came, he came to introduce to us the kingdom that we had waited for. And what I love is while Nehemiah might have been building walls, Jesus came to tear them down because the vision the prophets had was of a church with no walls. And that's my vision for this church as we move forward in in the coming years, is a church without walls where the Holy Spirit and his presence so powerfully impacts us and he rushes out into the community. And we are a part of a great work. You, if you come here on a Sunday, maybe you come here during the week, maybe you lead a life group, maybe you run a prayer group, uh, maybe it's just a handful of people that are praying together. We need our intercessors, we need our prayers, we need everybody involved because we're all doing a great work, but it's a gospel work, it's a kingdom Hallelujah. work. And... I just read that it took 52 days to build the wall. How many people here know that God could have, in, in the blink of one of our eyes, God could have just had a wall there? But he chooses to use the Zerubbabels, the Ezra's and the Nehemiah's in his building program. And he chooses... To use, would you believe he chooses to use South Africans in his building program? <laughs> would you believe that he chooses to use Tasmanians in his building program? Who would have thought, right? And what I love about this is while Nehemiah and Ezra and that were involved in a great work, if you go to Israel now, none of it's there. But everything we do here is an eternal work. We are laying eternal stones. Uh, What Peter said, very profound, Peter said that uh, we are all living stones fitted together. Uh, That process, uh, let me take you through the first century building process. What they would do is they would lay a cornerstone first. So they would choose a plot of ground and they would lay a cornerstone and they would take every bearing and measurement for that building would come off that stone. In God's building plan, he laid a cornerstone. His name is Jesus. 
And so church is really simple. Uh, it's God's building program and everything we do, we must take our bearings and our alignment off the cornerstone as he built. And then after you've laid the cornerstone, you would take all the other stones and here's what you would do. Uh, you would, as you're laying them together, you would take off the jagged edges so that they would fit together nice and neat. We didn't have people pumping bricks out of a factory in the first century. You had to chisel those stones so that they would fit together. Anybody feel like God is using the person next to you sometimes to chisel you? Husbands, do not look at your wives. Children, do not look at your parents. But it's a beautiful work that God is doing that he's taking all of us who are all jagged stones, taking off our rough edges and fitting us together to create a temple to inhabit his presence. God is doing a great work in this morning. I wanted to take the time to honour each and every one that is involved in that. Nobody would see the hours the elders deliberated over past events of this year. Nobody would see the hours, the board. I know most people think the board just come together and count figures and stuff like that. But that's just a very small part of what the board does. And there's a lot of hours that goes into board meetings and the work that the board does. Nobody sees the preparation that life group leaders put in uh, and so forth. Nobody knows that the people in the cafe are here early, setting up and getting ready. And everything happens behind the scenes. The sound and media guys... Any Sunday you walk in this place, just about, any Sunday you walk in here, you'll see Steve either behind the media desk or behind the sound desk. We keep him up the back because, you know, he's just uh, out of sight. Out of, no, that's not true, Steve. But, but Steve may not be up the front all the time, but he's doing a great work. And the sound guys are doing a great work. And I'm excited. I, I want to honour everybody. And I want to acknowledge everybody. I want you to know that we don't miss what you do. We see what you do. We are deeply thankful for what you do. And I hope that people aren't here that listen to this sermon and hear uh, how thankful and grateful we are for everything that you do and invest and give. And I also wanted just to lift our eyes for a moment that everybody would realise the work that we do here is a great work. It's an eternal work. And I'm excited for what God has in store in the coming years. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a net. And the good news is that what happens in the first century is before anybody goes fishing to bring in the harvest, they mend the nets. That word mend in the Greek, Jesus walked along the shore and saw those mending their nets. That word mend is exactly the same word Paul uses in Ephesians when he says that we have the, we have the fivefold ministries for the equipping of the saints, for the mending. Why? So that the net will hold as God brings in his harvest. We are here for an eternal work, but God is building a kingdom that is made up of people. And there are people in this community and this city that he's going to use every one of us to reach, to impact and influence for the gospel. And I'm excited.
Before you run away, we're going to finish a little bit early this morning, which is good, because a wonderful team of people have laboured uh, this morning in preparing a morning tea. And the morning tea is to say thank you for everything. And, and as I'm saying thank you, I'm talking just about everybody in this room this morning for all that you do. You are deeply appreciated. You are a blessing to us here as a church family. And so we've prepared a morning tea. We don't want you to run away. Come and have some fellowship. Have some morning tea. Grab a cup of coffee. Cup of tea if you're not saved yet. But grab a cup of coffee and, and, let's, and let's have some fellowship. Um, and I look forward to next year. I look forward to what God has in store for next year. And I invite you, uh, if you're able to come next Sunday, come along as we remember what the essential matter of Christmas is. The essential matter of Christmas is not presents, holidays, 35 degree days, barbecues. The essential part of Christmas is when the king was laying in the manger, when divinity was poured into humanity and what that means for us. We get to celebrate that next week. Let's pray as we head out. Father, I thank you for the building work you're doing in each and every one of our lives. I thank you for the building work you're doing in this church. It's not a building that we will measure with bricks and mortar and stone, but Lord, it is a, it is a work that you are doing which is eternal. It is spiritual. Your kingdom is a kingdom of hearts. And so we celebrate those who in every way participate in a great way into your building work and we pray that you will continue to do your kingdom work through us in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.